This episode of Going Forward is brought to you by Optimizer, an award-winning PPC management tool used by advertisers worldwide. Save time and boost the performance of your PPC campaigns on Facebook, Amazon, and Google, or Microsoft. Get a 14-day free trial at optimizer.com go slash VIP. Everyone, this year is coming to an end. I hope you had a great holiday season with your family. And from us here at Going Forward Nation, we hope that you had the best holiday ever. The best ever. I'm, I'm serious. Like, and a happy new year, all that good stuff. So here's what we have for you. This is going to be all the great episodes from all the great conversations with entrepreneurs and leaders on the Going Forward podcast, and we're presenting them to you in one nice little bundle. Man, that's a lot. A whole lot's happened this entire year. We went from being the ad cast to going forward, the total rebrand, and we wanna thank you, our audience, for sticking with us the entire time. So I want you to sit back, listen to all these amazing episodes and tell us what you think and we look forward to seeing you in 2024 there's those that like they still think like advertising is an abomination to the legal profession or lawyers that advertise aren't you know are just are, are not great lawyers i mean those guys are struggling so much i mean they the a lot oh, yeah. of the traditionalists their phone's been ringing less and less they've relied primarily on referrals the referral sources are starting to die off they get frustrated when they see young lawyers that are really doing well on social media or outranking them on search you know they just they're like why is this happening and it's just because the landscape has evolved and i think it's a necessary part of any business that it, with new things coming down the pipe and just in terms of how consumers make decisions and new technologies that it really is grow or die and if you don't evolve you'll become less competitive every day that's your next t-shirt grow or die yep. okay I agree, I agree with it 100 percent. there right. is no there is no staying in the middle there's no staying stagnant like it just doesn't exist I, I know sometimes people debate me on this they'll say well i don't want to grow this year i don't want to go back i just can i just maintain and mm -hmm. I'm like, well, sometimes like the only way you can maintain is if you can get, agree to get everybody else who's your competitor to also maintain, right? Because mm -hmm. if they're getting better and they're improving and they're answering their phones a little bit better and they're, you know, say they're growing their brand a little more, they're training their team, but you're becoming increasingly less and less competitive because there's other, there's other killers out there, quite frankly. I mean, oh, absolutely. It's, it's like people listen to this podcast, like they're the very killers, right? They, they, I mean, they make it harder for other people. It's just the nature of the game. It's the game of business. I think it is the most, you know, the most savage, you know, game and sport there is out there. So there's no maintain. And sometimes you actually have to work. I know John Morgan actually shared this with me uh, at, at the last conference. It's like, sometimes you got to do even more and you got to work harder just to stay where you are. Because you sometimes have to get better right. just to maintain if that's what someone's definition is. So meaning that if, if they had, you know, an X, you know, revenue year, profit year, the previous year, it's to, ha to have the same thing this year, they have to work harder. Sometimes you have to work 20%, 50% harder. You know, I've talked to a lot of leaders and asked them, would you want to be a politician? And they'd say, why, why would I want to throw my family under the bus like that? Ooh. Why would I want to put them at risk? Why would I want to face that kind of scrutiny? Yeah. And, and so who do we get in those positions, Eric? We get people who don't give a crap about anybody but themselves. Yep. Yep. And and so we're we're funneling more narcissists than we'd like mm -hmm. into those kinds of roles. Um, you know, and, and we see a, a decline of trust in the in the justice system. You know, I, I started working on a, a paper. I I was gonna title it Grab Your Ankles, Here Comes Justice. Um <laughs> because because, you know, we, we've seen people being put in on the Supreme Court and we have no expectation that they're unbiased or that they're going to, you know, they've been put there because they've got a political leaning. Please write that paper. I want 
please write that. <laughs> so, oh my god, uh, <laughs> you know we don't trust that system because we shouldn't, right? And, and you know what? You you used to before everything. It, it's almost like you know people say like I don't want the court to become politicized, and we're, we're not changing this into a political conversation. We're talking about trust. Right. Because this, right. this has a lot to do with it. It's the fact that we don't trust either side, either party. So Absolutely. Now, now we don't trust the court. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, you know, they were asked about, and, and I'm not I'm not coming out here to, to proclaim, you know, support or, or denial for Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. Whatever side of that argument you're on, you should be concerned about the fact that those justices got asked before they got appointed about that very topic. Yeah. And they knew what the questions meant and they danced around it. Mm -hmm. And what they showed us is that they're really smart and they're able to justify any decision they want. And so that's somebody you should have very little trust in. Wow. Because they could justify doing anything. Mm -hmm. And you can't really believe them when they tell you things because you no, know that they're calculating loopholes. They're calculated. Yeah. yeah, they're calculated. And and that's and that's what makes us, I think, through time, less and less and less and less, we have well, more and more and more and more, we have trusted our elected officials less. Right. You know, yeah. we, we trusted them less because of a lot of the uncertainty that people are going through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, how how I, do you... Uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I think there are sexually transmitted diseases that have higher approval rating than politicians. Because there's a chance you might have enjoyed contracting it, and, and there's something you could actually do about it. Like, uh, and, and you've traveled around in some of the places in Europe, they vacation a lot more than we do in the U.S. Could... Could some of that have an, an effect on us, like uh, with the, the amount of stress that we have? Like, for example, um, I remember going like to Disney some years ago and there were there was a family from the UK, but they call it they're on holiday is what they said. And they'd be on holiday for a month or two, where in the US, I mean, you may get, you know, two weeks of PTO throughout the year. Can that be some kind of factor for a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs? Oh, it's huge. And there's a couple different things that you hit on there. Let me try to jump to each. We know that from a research standpoint, one, that individuals that are taking at least 11 mm -hmm. days of vacation a year, not sick days, but vacation days, actually mm -hmm. research is showing that they perform better, higher levels of productivity, mm -hmm. higher percentages of being promoted, earning their bonuses and such by really taking that decompression time. And what we yeah. see very much, especially in the U.S., is that one, people aren't taking the time off. They don't feel like they can, or it's mm -hmm. when I leave for work, I don't have anyone else to cover for me. I'm going to come back and my inbox is going to be full and I'm more stressed and I need a vacation from my vacation. Wow. Also, because we know that we're so busy that there takes time for people to really disconnect and especially mm -hmm. with technology and still being able to be on, oh, well, I'm on PTO, but I'm going to just check my inbox to make sure there isn't a fire or I'm going to make sure that I'm on call in case this person calls me. And so it's really difficult as a society for us to learn to truly disconnect. So it may take three or four days for us to really get into quote unquote vacation mode and then mm -hmm. it go right back again. And so those transitions, we're not really truly giving ourselves that opportunity to decompress, to rest, to disconnect and to relax.
do you like for example like we just talked about like people taking time and vacation for themselves do you find yourself sometimes talking to corporations businesses as well and get consulting them about like their pto policy and using some of the research that you said about people taking more time off they're they're mentally better they're more productive i mean is that something that someone a business should reach out to you about uh I'd love to have the conversation with them. It's interesting how you can provide people with the research and the data, but there's also the practical application. And I think that that is one of the biggest things that when I'm working with organizations is seeing the underlying foundation and structure of how to actually implement that. Because you're finding for a lot of companies, you may give the employees more time off, or they may even have a flexible schedule where there's unlimited PTO, but they don't always take it. And there's reasons for that. For some people, they're not taking it because as I said, there's the stress of, well, I'm going to take the time, but what am I going to come back to? For others, it's a bit frowned upon. So even though the policy is there, you have that mindset of, well, how much time are you taking? And this person hasn't taken time off or we don't have the person to fill your position. So what is going to be delayed or can you wait to take your time at a different time? And so sometimes there are what people feel either the unwritten pressures from the organization or that they may be putting on themselves of, well, I don't want to use my PTO to take a staycation or stay at home. I want to build this all up. Or what if there's this thing that happens and I need it? Or it could even just be, well, I find my value in my work and what I'm doing and it feels good to be needed. And it's difficult for me to disconnect because I don't want to feel like I could be replaced. There's all these different things that can come into play for the individual as well as for the organization that it can't just be that the PTO is there, but it's the policy set in place and encouraged and also modeled by the leaders. Having that founder be able to, I I know there's a a startup that I was working with in the past where the team literally shut off the Slack channels, shut off the email and said, okay, founder, okay, CEO, you go take the time and we are not going to reach out to you no matter what. I wish my people are listening right now. So just... <laughs> for, for example, for the first year, mm-hmm. like we can't walk or talk. Um, do you know what I mean? So, and it's yeah. it's interesting how in a rush, you know, like I think I said like forty years ago I could walk, uh-huh. like like thirty nine years ago I could talk, you know, and then thirty years ago I, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I think it's. I think this is why like perspective is such an important thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, because we all started at a point and there are all points in our lives where we couldn't do the things that we can do now. We forget, yeah. you know, I've been walking now, luckily, thank God, you know, I know some people that's not always the case or they don't have the ability from birth or whatever, but you know, I've been walking for 40 years. I've got mm. it down now. You know, I also know how to talk. But there was a point when none of us could talk or none of us could walk when we were young. So and like this sense of this ability to like think about how quickly we learned when we were younger. We would play, we would try things, we would jump off things and we would like use our create like the the boxes that the toys came in were more exciting than the toys themselves because we could create these worlds. And that's something that I'm always trying to lean into with my world is like never trying to lose that. Wow. Well, I'm obviously a grown up, but I'm yeah. always trying to like never lose that sense of childish creativity. You know, like 
And I think that what that's what allows me to see the things that I see because I still am this kind of young kid playing in a box. You, you have to, you have to be, you, you have yeah. to be free. You know, you have to be free yeah. and allow. Rick Rubin yeah. talked about that in his book uh, about oh, being dude. childlike. You know, like uh, the children don't know what's impossible. You know, you tell an adult yeah. to do something, the the adults like, oh, that's impossible. But to to the kid, it's like, no, it's possible. Because they yeah. don't close off their mind. So what yeah. you just said makes so much sense, man. Yeah, I it makes that. so much sense. Not, I need to continue reading that book. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, for me, it's um, yeah. I think we're you know, but we're also told to grow up, get a job, mm. you know, got responsibilities, and I think we all fall into this this kind of pattern. Wake up, go to work, pay the bills. Wake up, go to work, pay the bills, and mm -hmm. that's something that, luckily, like I, I've always like, not necessarily rebelled against. I've just spent enough time having those moments, but knowing that it would get better, and like, like I stayed in the thing that I loved doing rather than went and got a job that would have paid more for the first mm. five years or done this or done that. Like now. I'm living the dream. I get paid to draw. I get paid to help people. I get, you know, my clients, I see like my, I do work for my clients. They pay me really good money to do that. Then I get to create content out of it. I'm yeah. like, this yeah. is the fucking dream. <laughs> I'm getting paid to create content. That's going to help other designers now. Right, right. Like it's the framing of it all, isn't it? Like, it's like fucking bonkers. How much has like social media changed everything? Uh, quite a bit. I mean, you, you see the trends happening with both platform usage and the, you know, the demographics of what platforms sort of rise and fall as, as time goes on. I think one of the more interesting you know, elements there is you think about what's happening on like Google versus mm -hmm. what's happening on TikTok on the other end of the spectrum. And you've got an entire audience whose default is not to go to google for trusted sources of information oh they are going they're going to their peers they're going to people that are uh creating content essentially around different topics and publishing it directly to their social networks and you know you you see some of the adaption on on google and how that's that's affected but um, that, I mean, that I think is sort of the biggest, biggest wake up call for, for us as digital marketers is, mm -hmm. you know, how do you not be as reliant on some of the, the traditional sources of traffic that you've, you've had to rely on for, for quite some time. I and mean, these, these walled gardens and black boxes of, you know, you're just trying to guess at what the algorithms are. But, um, now you think about the, the importance of, uh, community and word of mouth and where people are congregating and finding information directly from these these individual creators and and these you know quote unquote like trusted sources of information yeah. um for organizations of all types it's important to figure out how you how you start to to tap into that or or to amplify whatever whatever is needed for your your organization i mean we even beyond the the traditional social platforms there's so much in um these niche you know slack communities for different audiences and people are asking questions every day around have you heard about this what do you think about this 
software or this software. Yeah. I've got this problem. Does anybody have any recommendations? They're going to people before they go to search engines. Maybe. Well, look, if you're an entrepreneur, the first thing you have to realize is all entrepreneurs have two traits in common. We're all crazy mm -hmm. and we're all losers. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by wow. that. We're crazy. because That's what everybody wow. tells us, right? A perfectly mm -hmm. good 40 hour a week job. We're getting our paychecks regularly. And you want to leave that to go work for a hundred hours with no pay. And, and everybody, mm. you know, tells you you're crazy. What are you doing? Stick with your job. You're going to have a great career. You're, you're fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you're losers. We're all losers because we never get it right. The first time we're creating something that doesn't exist. How, how could you possibly do mm. it right? Um, in, in, in one time. So if you can embrace the fact that everybody's going to think you're nuts and, and you're not going to win the first time around then you can be a really great entrepreneur because then failure becomes a temporary step towards, towards success yeah. and your craziness is what allows you to get out of your comfort zone because only out there, that's where changes happen. That's, that's where, where new things happen in the world. The crazies are the, one that make, the ones that make the world go awry. Hold tight, listeners. We're taking a brief pause. Going forward, we'll be back shortly with more insightful conversations. Hey, it's Eric here from VIP Marketing, and I want to ask you digital marketers something. Are you frustrated with your current PPC marketing campaigns? Well, I want to tell you about a tool that we use here at our agency. It's called Optimizer. You have the ability to get your reports up to date and make sure that you get alerts on them. You can even work into workflows as well. So if you're frustrated with your campaigns right now and the reporting systems that you use, I want to give you a 14-day free trial of Optimizer. Go to optimizer.com slash go slash VIP. Because for the longest time, and even still, uh, well, I think people are getting more comfortable now in the African-American community saying, I, I want to go see a therapist. But, you know, a long time ago, it was almost like, not taboo, but it was like, like looked down upon. Do you, do you believe that? And, and also... Do you still see that today? Unfortunately, Eric, we still see it today. People um, in our community still struggle with going to seek help. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the challenges, especially for um, Black men, is there are not a lot of Black male therapists um, oftentimes. And so they want to go, you know, right, most people want to go to someone that looks like them, you know, going to represent their needs. And that could also be a, you know, a barrier, I think, to getting the help that they need as well. Mm -hmm. And then again, just the stigma of you're not supposed to have emotions, Jeremy, and, you know, all those different gender, you know, things that are placed upon people and just, just life. I also want to just point out that, you know, historically people will say maybe mental health looks like this. Like you mm. got to be talking to yourself, walking down the street, you know, and, um, or if I'm not depressed because I'm not laying in my bed. And that's depression is not about just laying in your bed. You can yeah. be depressed going to work every single day. You, could be, you can be a, a functional depressed person. It, it's Correct. real. It's real. Yes, it is real. And so I think people don't know that. Uh, and again, unfortunately, I don't think a, we make spaces for that mm -hmm. oftentimes in our community. So from, from, you know, I know you can't talk, you know, specifically about people that you've seen, but uh, in, in some of the things that you've run across, um, I mean, what are some things that people should look for? Because, uh, you know, it's, I know one thing with men, it's very hard to us to go to any doctor, 
you know, normally it's the other half that would say, you need to go to the doctor, you know, and normally that's a physical part, but like the mental part is usually hidden. And, and you're right though. There may be some people who are just severely depressed and they hide it. And, and some of their partners may, may never know it. You think of like a, like a Robin Williams. He, he spent so much of his time making the world laugh and, and he was hurting on the inside. Basic things to look for is if you find yourself in this space wondering, gosh, like having more guilt about where you are in your life and the decisions that you've made, you know, dep mm -hmm. depression, I like to say, can be tied to guilt. And then you notice that there are things that you used to do that you're no longer doing, right? And your energy level is so low that the, the, the things like just everyday life can be very hard and challenging. Those are some just very small things. Your sleep starts to be impacted. Either you're sleeping wow. too much or you're not sleeping enough. Mm. Or you have insomnia, you're having a lot of nightmares. Um, so those are just some very um, immediate things to kind of pay attention to. When you start to question, like, what is this? And not in a, not in a like, reflective way, like, I want to continue to grow. But, like, those questions about why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Mm. When the pain that you that you're experiencing and you keep saying, I just don't want to feel this anymore, no matter what, that that's a really good time to reach out for help. What most people really don't know is that the advertising agency business is one of the most undiverse uh, white collar professions in America. I, I agree with you hundred percent, you know, in the back of me, you, you'll see the signs that say be great. And for those of you who may be listening just to the audio only, I invite you to go to YouTube. But behind me, you see this the sign that says, be great. And, and I, I agree with everything that you said. And, and when we were looking through our guests and you came through, uh, one of the things that I told the producer was, I have to talk to him. I have to get his point of view. And the reason being is because, like, I remember I had this, um, uh, she was a station president one time. She's an African-American woman one of the only ones who work for, you know, a major CBS affiliate here in the South. And, uh, and I said to her, I said, I think some of these people are, are racist. And she said, it's not that you're racist. She said, you're just different. She said, you're smart and you're young. And some people don't know how to, they don't know how to take that. And you're just different from who they are used to is what yep. she said. And, and I, there's a there's a line here that I, I wanted to come to, and it said, through the pages of Black on Madison Avenue, Mark tells a story of being the only one maintaining one's core moral compass, rising up the ranks, and then moving on to one's own shop, while also giving the reader an industry history coupled with Black history, civil rights. And and Mark, I mean that that paragraph says a lot, man. That sells a that says a lot. So. What are some of the things that that you saw? Like you said, we are in that industry, in that white collar industry, we are the minority. What are some of the things that you saw coming up? I mean, were your ideas appreciated? I, I want to hear all about that. Well, in the book, one of the stories that I tell is my very first job interview, mm -hmm. trying to get a job in the ad business. And um I met with the um, director of human resources at a particular agency, mm -hmm. um, and I was able to get that interview through um, an alumni contact at my college. So, um, you know, right from the very beginning, it's all about who you know, 
Yeah. What connections can you network? What wow. relationships can you leverage mm -hmm. in order to get into the business? And if you don't have those connections, you are really not playing on a level playing field. Wow. Um, but I went into this interview and the woman who was the director of HR looked over my resume, acknowledged the fact that the only reason I was in the room with her was because the vice president had set up the interview. And so she acknowledged that I had leveraged a, a, a relationship. She, she, she acknowledged that in the interview. In the interview. Wow. And she said, you're a very bright young man, so I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, you're looking for a job in account management. And account management in the ad agency business is essentially the face of the agency and the face of the agency's relationship with the client. Yes. Um, and so you're very high profile and you're the person who um, really holds the, the the future of the relationship and the money in your hands. Yeah, you're, you are you're a gateway. Absolutely. Um, and she said, we don't hire Negroes in account management. And she gave a moment for that to sink in. And then she said, you know, other agencies may not tell you the truth. I'm telling you the truth, mm. you know, but you won't get a job in account management. And so I kind of stood there and tried to process that um, and said, well, thank you. Um, but I'm just going to keep on interviewing until I do. Right. So clearly there isn't a, you know, any reason for me to stick around here. How did it make you feel? More than anything else, it made me feel confused. It was like, this is a, this is a, a new experience. And it was a new experience, not because somebody had been racist to my face. It was a new experience because of my response to it, which was I had turned down an opportunity to do something in a different department because she said, I'm happy to interview you for media or, um, you know, traffic or whatever, just not client facing. but just not client facing. Mm. And, and I said, no, thank you. Um, mm. And, you know, the idea of anybody in my family turning down a job offer at a respectable um, white collar Madison Avenue ad agency was just insane. I have an injury. We were just talking about it called tinnitus. Some people call it tinnitus. <laughs> I once had someone interviewing me called the tendonitis, and I was like, there's nothing wrong with my jaw. Anyway, so we, I, it, it's a ringing in the ear, and, and a lot of people suffer from it. I mean, you hear it everywhere now. Basically, what you've done is you have injured your auditory nerve and that residual injury, that that tone that you hear, whether it's a whooshing, whether it's a kind of wet dripping, whether it's a, a pinging. Yeah, it's how you injured that auditory nerve. There's no cure for it, and there's very few treatments that actually do have any kind of benefit. OK. All right. So. I, I got mine from serving in the army, okay, uh, listening to a lot of loud explosions and gunfire, and so I would tell everyone listening, guard your hearing jealously, because yeah. it's very annoying. All right, so I go to a friend's house, we're having a couple drinks, and he says, hey, Wayne, you have tinnitus, and I'm, I was like, yeah, he goes, I want you to listen to something, so I was like, okay. 
So he puts a set of headphones on me and he he plays for me mm-hmm. the crunchiest woo-woo track of music that the guy could dig out of a closet. I mean, it was anyone that knows me knows that is not my that's not what I'm listening to. Right. And it did nothing. And so I looked at him like, what am, what is this supposed to do aside from annoying me? He plays, okay, don't worry about it. He plays me a second track of music. Again, better music just didn't do anything. Yeah. Eric, that third track of music that he played changed my life in, in a number of ways. For the first time in 30 years, I heard silence. I didn't hear the ringing in my ear. I get goosebumps even talking about it. We, I talked about this with you five minutes ago, and it still brings out emotion in me. So, so, so this song, he's playing. It's, it's. Let's just picture it like it's something loud, a lot of instruments, banging, clanging, right? And you heard silence in the. Actually, it wasn't the music; it was the frequency that was played over the top of the music. So 432 hertz, actually, in this case, it was 174. So 174 hertz was played in the music, totally inaudible. You and I would not hear it, but it was played in this music, and the only thing I heard was the music. I did not hear this sound going on in my head right now. And there was a study uh, that I saw, and it said that if people have a great onboarding within their first 100 days, that they actually turn out to be longer-term team members and they're happier team members. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the experience of joining a business has got to be one of the most jarring experiences we face as adults. You know, oh. for people that get a job and you get thrown into a new reality with a new set of people, with new responsibilities, you're not sure how you're going to be measured in terms of success. You mm-hmm. don't know all the information and what's what's been decided or not decided over the years. You have no historical context for the business. You're trying to figure out your footing on, you know, are there po- internal politics that I need to navigate? Uh, y- you you want to make sure that you're successful in doing the job that they hired you to do. It's mm-hmm. it's such a jarring, difficult time for a new yeah. person joining a business. And so if you can have a really welcoming experience where people are happy you're there, they're excited you're there, they're mm-hmm. praising you for some early wins, mm-hmm. and they're excited for for how you're going to develop versus an experience where people largely ignore you, where you don't feel like you belong, where you don't feel like you're doing a good job, where you're not exactly sure what's expected of you. Like those are two dramatically different experiences. Yeah. And I think people joining businesses today can be at the polar opposite ends of of that spectrum. You know, and so so what we're trying to do with with our software is to make that experience more predictable. You want the same experience when someone joins your business. And so if you mention, uh, you know, turnover, why have some people stayed and some people haven't stayed? Well, mm-hmm. you do a little digging and you take a look at what was the experience or the qualifications or the source of the person for the ones that had the longest tenure? Yeah. And when when you do that digging, you start to compare some common denominators. And maybe you say, oh, all of the people that really stuck 
had been referred by uh, a friend, another uh, another friend. Well, what did they get from that reference? Well, mm -hmm. maybe they got more of an inside scoop on what to expect about the business. And so maybe wow. for, for people coming in cold, we need to do a better job educating them during the application process to make sure that it's a good fit culturally up front. Yeah, how should I say it? I think change is something weird, right? If you change something in your brand, you need to be really sure. Yes. You're also going to lose recognition power. But also doing something differently than your competitor does also takes some sort of uh, bravery. You need, be, yeah, you need to be convinced. Yeah. Because you, you're going you're gonna to make something that initially will may feel a bit weird because it's just outside the category norms. Mm -hmm. But I think that weirdness is something great. We find that weirdness because it needs to feel a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning. Because if it doesn't feel uncomfortable, you're clearly doing what you have been doing. Right. You're just, you're just repeating what you've done before. You're right. So you have to uh, kind of find the weird where it speaks about the brand, fits to the product, and still looks like the product. If you're shooting milk, it has to look white. Mm -hmm. Right? There are certain codes that you cannot mess with. And people True. have said to me, they said, Diana, you are also putting people out of work. And I, this is what I say about this, because automation is going to do a lot of it. I say people don't want to do this work. <laughs> I do the grunt work that nobody wants to do. I want people mm. to do higher level thinking. You think you want to actually make resize banners all day and mm -hmm. make sets? It's not original content, people. Original content is creative and it's using all your juices to make something beautiful. Right. This is resizing all this. This is making permutations of creative. Nobody wants that job. And then some of you get yelled at because basically you made a mistake because you put a 299 versus a 199 or the disclosure was wrong. Nobody wants mm -hmm. that job. Nobody wants. So I want machines to do jobs that people don't want to do. And I want humans to do jobs where they can use their brain and be able to innovate and create. And mm -hmm. I absolutely believe diversity is important. Wow. But if you really break it down, the power of diversity comes down to diversity of thought. Now, when most people hear the word diversity, uh, they think of race or ethnicity, yes, immediately. They think of gender, uh, they think of age, they think of political affiliation, they think of religious beliefs, you know, and, and all of those things are important. But really, what each of those different things does is it gives a diversity of thought. I've you never know? thought of it that way. Yeah, and that's what, never, that's what I want groups, never thought of I want like groups to have. Now, now think about it. Even, even you and me, we, we have some clear diversity differences between each other. Mm -hmm. And that is an awesome thing. Mm -hmm. That means that your journey and, and the framework and lens at which you've looked through your entire life is going to be different than mine. And that should be welcomed. That should be celebrated. That means that both you and I are sitting in on an inner office meeting We'll have different vantage points to share our thoughts. Damn, Alan, I never thought of that. Leaders, they understand how important that is because you want the best ideas. And the only way you can curate the best ideas is by getting them from as many different sources as you can. So yeah. I know that if I was a leader in corporate America, I would want an incredibly diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if it's all of the boxes that I mentioned earlier, but ultimately those things aren't what's important. It's the diversity of thought that's important, but that's what those things end up leading to. Dude, I never thought of that. I always thought of diversity as just, you know, uh, the different races in the room or genders, but never thought of diversity of thought. The first thing an entrepreneur should do is understand how they want to spend the next 10 to 15 years of your life.
because realistically, that's what it's going to take. It, you say, I want money. I want, okay, 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 you want money. Well, it turns out that it's a miracle, you know, if you make a bunch of money, you know, by year five, it, it would just be a miracle. Now that doesn't say it won't happen, but you know, right. it takes right. a while. My experience is it takes 10 to 15 years mm -hmm. um, to, to create one of these things. So that, and then you want to know how you want to live your life um, before you jump in to start in that business because it's going to shape the business. The second thing is what jobs do you want at your own company? Um, you want to know in, in the early days, it might be every job. You have every job at the company uh, because there's no one else. You know, there's mm -hmm. one or two or three of you. But then over time, as it grows, you should know, hey, listen, I, I want to be the person that sets the culture. I'll tell you where I wound up, Eric. I started out in every company kind of doing everything. And then by the yeah. end, I, I wanted to be the person that shaped the culture. Because I, I think that as a leader, the culture of how you get work done and how you treat everything is whether you even want to come to work or not. So that I think it's wow. absolutely crucial. Wow. Next is kind of like I was into patents and innovation. And I, I wanted to stay focused on that and not get too far track off it. And then like, I wanted to make the financing decisions of our big projects. Like I, I don't want to control budget line items. That's for someone else to do, yep. but for the big initiatives, I say, we're going to invest a, a half a million or a million dollars in this. Well, I want to make that decision. So I call myself the financier. Um, and then I would do pick out the high level media stuff. I want to do high level media. Um, and that's my job. And if I don't have that job right now, well, what do I have to give away to get there? Because something I'm doing is a promotion for somebody else. Um, and then the last thing, so, you know, how am I spend 10 to 15 years of my life? What jobs do I want? The third thing is how, what meaning and purpose is there in this, in this enterprise I'm about to launch? And I need to get in touch with the meaning and purpose of this enterprise. Because if I'm going to do this with all of my heart, and we're going to do it over a long period of time. I better be in touch with it. So those are the three okay. things, Eric, I, I think people should do before they start a company. I don't just want to live. I want to feel alive. And through mm. all of these early chapters of my life, I realized the difference between, okay, when I'm dating this person or when I'm going to this school, when I'm doing this job, am I living or do I feel alive? I've always kind of looked at life in this A versus B way. And I refuse to live a life where I am just living because when I feel that way, then I just become very ordinary. I just kind of fall back into like my default setting. And I just don't have a lot of fuel or oxygen. Like you hear me right now, like this yeah, is passion, yeah. this is purpose. Right. This is how it sounds when somebody feels alive. And so for me, when I made that call, when I took that course, when I went from six figures to $7, even though the logical thing to do might've been, Paul, that's too risky. Paul, that's a dumb move. Paul, yeah. why would you do this? Paul, right. what are other people going to think? I knew inside that this feeling of being alive, it was like a sensation that I couldn't ignore. Wow. And so I just wanted to do it because I felt a tremendous amount of passion. I said, I know I can sell. And if I can figure out a way to sell in an industry with a product that I love, mm -hmm. like, man, I've been a sports guy my whole life. Maybe I could actually make a living out of this. 
and I would refuse to live with regret. I think that's a big thing. Like they always talk about pain, right? Like what's the greater pain, the pain of change or the pain of staying the same? I'll yeah. repeat that. Yeah. What is the greater pain, the pain of same or the pain of change? And for me, staying on that comfortable road, staying at the Fortune 10 company, the pain of just living and not feeling alive was a pain that I was not willing to deal with because I don't want to go to my tombstone with regret. And I'll actually add even one wrinkle to this. I was not that far removed at this point in my life. And here's why I feel so passionate about this decision. I was not far removed from the worst day of my life at this mm. stage because here here I am in my early to mid 20s as I'm telling you all this well when I was 19 my hero passed away wow. I lost my dad when I was 19 and I'm an only child and so at a very young age you want to talk about going from a boy to a man you want to talk about somebody like my mom because again I'm an only mm -hmm. child so she goes from a parent to a partner you got to grow up real quick yeah. And so the fact that I lost my hero and I realized that life, there are no guarantees. I don't know how long it's going to last. And so a lot of this passion, a lot of this tenacity, a lot of this perseverance was like, dude, I ain't going to leave no stone unturned. Mm. I ain't going to go to the tombstone with regret because tomorrow is not guaranteed. And that is not a bumper sticker. I lost my dad at 19. Yeah. And here I am in my 20s, and I could have continued to drift on default, or I could have said, you know what, Paul, burn the boats. Because I just believe I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn. Yeah. I'm going to succeed or I'm going to grow. I'm going to succeed or I'm going to evolve. Like my dad taught me that failure is not a word in the vocabulary, and that's it. Like I just don't believe in that word. I hate when people say it because I'm like, oh, that just means you're going to stay down. Yeah. Like that's it. Like you fall down. Like, okay, <laughs> like good luck. Like, no, screw that, dude. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so a little bit of that fire that you hear in my voice and the fire of that decision of why I had the courage to do it is, well, when I lost my dad and I saw how my mom showed up in the aftermath, she breathed courage into me and it never left. Wow. Man, you know, you and I are like brothers from another mother. Um, I, I lost both of my parents when I was six and seven years old. So mm, I lost them both. And, and, and you talk and like what you said, losing your dad at 19, it's like, man, you had to grow up quick. And especially with you, you had to, you were the only child. You were all she had to look at and she was all you had to look at. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's, it's, you had no, no choice, but to grow up and then start earning to be able to pay your fare. Yep. That's Dude. it. Oh my gosh, man. So, I mean, tell, tell me, I mean, like you're in your professional career. So you go over from making six figures to $7, $7. Like, <laughs> I, I like the way you put it. Yeah. You, you made it, you went from six figures to seven figures, $7, right? <laughs> I mean, give me, tell me like, have you ever hit like a low point when you were doing that $7? Cause I know like you started killing all these goals, but, but how, did you stay motivated, man? How did, how did you do that? Because like the, the average person would just, just say, they would just give up. How yeah, and I started with mm, about eight other people. We started on the same day. Mm -hmm. I was the only one to see the third month on the job. You wow. know, like it, it was a tough environment, man. You pick up the phone a couple hundred times a day and just get rejected 99.9% .9 and uh, I mean, it was, it was tough, but again, I, I think that's like, 
I think one of the bigger mistakes that we make in life is we believe that there is a plan B. Mm. And I, I don't know, after losing my dad, I'm like, I know that there's other options. I mean, shoot, yeah. I could change what I do tomorrow and the next day and the next day I could, uh, not that I want to, I'm, I'm extremely happily married and soon to be a father <laughs> of two and right now father of one. And like, I wouldn't change a, a thing in my personal life, but you always have options. Yeah. You always have options. Do I eat the thing? Do I not? Do I make the investment or not? Like better decisions, faster decisions are yeah. just choices and choices are options. And so I think that one of the worst things we can do is when we create this safety net in our mind that, oh, if it doesn't work, then I'll just do this. <laughs> like, no, dude, the, the, no. Pl the plan, the plan B, the plan B. Mm -hmm. And I, whether intentional or not, I just never thought about plan B. So why, why, mm. how do you give up when you don't feel like there's a safety net to fall on? Like that safety net is a facade and it's something that leads to bad behavior because now all of a sudden you're not all in. Like imagine, imagine, oh, like you want to, okay, I live in California, right? Oh, 50% plus greater uh, divorce rate. All right. Yeah. Like, you know where I think a lot of folks kind of get into some trouble, whether on the personal or wow. professional side, is we convince ourselves that if it doesn't work, there's another option. And so wow. then you don't go all in. And now I'm giving 90% of myself to my wife or to my kids. I'm giving 80% of myself or 40% of myself to my job. You're going to lose. I don't know when. Wow. I don't know when, but you're going to lose because yeah. you – will never go all in when you've convinced yourself that there's a plan B and maybe a C and maybe a D and maybe an E like, Hey, I don't have a promise of a happy ending to the story of the business or the entrepreneurial venture or of the career or of the marriage. Like I don't have a, a wand. I don't have a crystal wow. ball, but I just know that if I convince myself that this is all I have and I'm going to put my all into it, mm -hmm. I'm a smart enough dude to realize this ain't the one. I'm a smart enough dude to realize that. And so because of that, I don't need to think about plan B. All know when I, I don't believe there's a B. I just believe I need to go all in on A. And if A doesn't work out, then I'm going to find a new A. I don't think of that second A as a B or a C or a D. I just find a new A and then I go all in on that. And I think that's a winning mentality. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate our podcast and share it with a friend. Every share, every comment, every rating propels us forward. For more content, insights, and updates, visit ericelliot.com. Remember, your journey, your story is what keeps us going forward. Until next time.